It's a good show. He believes in being true, chaste, benevolent. She believes in aliens. It's Mormon and the meth head. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and just a radar friends listen to them talking to Mike. Another thing for all of our uh, Mormon listeners, there BYU tweeted, "We really, 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 really want you to stop calling us BYU Provo," and got several great replies. Yeah, just got roasted. It's so roasting the official BYU Twitter is. I know the people that work in those offices are the worst fucking people. The people in charge of BYU social media. Fuck them. Uh, <laughs> I hate, I don't know if I've ranted it's, against BYUSA on this uh, thing. And I don't know why I'm a, just, but the people that fucking, the, there's, there's a bureaucracy at BYU and they're the, they're the worst motherfuckers. Uh, I, I want to just, oh, uh, I want to, I want, and it is, I'm a nice guy and I'm pretty uh, forgiving, but I want to like put all of their heads on spikes. <laughs> All of them. That is the most extreme. You, I'm a uni- nice guy. Unilaterally, <laughs> all of them in the, in that office. Not Susan. Susan was cool. Susan <laughs> was chill, and I liked her a lot. Um, uh, you you. There was this obstinate Aaron moment that you would have loved to have seen mm. of something I didn't even want to do. This Dutch when Mitt Romney was running for president was a, like the Mormon moment. You know, everyone was very interested in Mormons and a Dutch comedian contacted us and he was like doing a tour in america and making some documentary series about the election that was airing on tv in holland and he found out some one of his producers found out that there was this mormon comedy club and he wanted to come see us and like be on one of our shows he's just like some like old fat like dutch john stewart who is less funny i I don't know and he wanted to do a show with us and like interview us and we went through all these permissions to get it done and we were gonna do it and i didn't like it because it was a whole bunch of extra shit for me to do as the president of the club i already had enough to do and now i had to do this i it wasn't gonna be you didn't care about the tv credit no Why haven't I been using this credit when people when MCs introduce me? It would be so much better. We got introduced in Houston last night as co-hosts of the podcast uh, Meth Heads and the Goddamn Mormons. And <laughs> I was like, well, that's actually not a bad uh, uh, title. Maybe we should change it. Anyway, I didn't want to do this thing. And then BYUSA told me I couldn't do it. And I... Well, I I think my exact words were uh, "fuck your own face." Uh, <laughs> I I was at work, which also on campus. I was in a different department at BYU, and I was on. I got in trouble with my boss. Like they talked to me. Like two different bosses talked to me about this incident because I like during work time I spent a half hour on the phone screaming at uh, some guy that works at BYUSA, and it was. Awesome, Why does this Jessa. turn me on so I, much? Uh, 
the the second that uh, oh, I wish I could remember the exact things I said because I roasted the hell out of this dude. I just I just burned him because they were trying to say that they uh, oh yeah because they were like pulling all these things and saying like oh yeah you don't have this permission you don't have that permission when I already had it and I was like calling these other departments and it was the sketchiest shit where I was like so what's up and they were like clam up and they're like uh. Uh, and I kept pushing them. I'm like, why? Why are we not allowed to do this? Why don't? Why was our permission revoked? And then they like, I got someone to squeal, and they were like, uh, Adrian told us to. It was the BYUSA guy. Yeah. And so then I, I, I was like, I, I let him have it, and I was like, we're gonna do this fucking show anyway. Da, 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 da. I just, oh, I just I yelled it. at him, and uh, uh, it was great. Anyway, BYU was like, don't call us BYU Provo. We really want you to stop calling us BYU Provo. And all these people tweeted back. They're like, hey, we really, really want you to stop shaming rape victims at your school. <laughs> how, about you, how about you do that? And uh, we will gladly omit the geographical location off of your name. Also, uh, you have, mo- I mean, semantics, but you have multiple locations um, and yours happens to be in Provo. Yes. And you don't want that. But they, just because they're the original one, that's all they're saying. They're, they're they want to be called... They're the original. Uh, BYUOG. BYUOG. They probably would love that. Yeah. They would probably love it. Uh, and uh, We really, really, really want you to change the honor code. Yeah, update the honor code. That was one of them. Uh, they all had like more likes and retweets than the original thing. Uh, what is the shaming the rape victims? That's, okay. Oh, because you get... You there's uh well like who picked it up years ago I can't now I'm fuzzy on the details it was like Title Nine uh, or like AC, the ACLU like people like brought action against uh, Brigham Young University for it uh, because so in the honor code you can't have sex that's right. against that's against the honor code and if you break the honor code you can get kicked out of school you can get in a lot of trouble right there's a whole office on campus called the uh, honor code office which is just for fucking snitches that's all (laughs) that's all that is snitches and people writing annoying tweets so what uh has happened i mean a lot for years a huge problem and it's still happening even after all the trouble byu got into and after they said they were going to change was that uh girls would report rape to uh the school and the whatever department you report uh, that stuff to, I don't know, would immediately inform the honor code office if you uh, reported rape. And then you would be getting investigated by the honor code office. And so you'd have uh, these girls that uh, got raped and they're getting Jesus kicked out of Christ. school for having sex. And like it's. Fucking awful. That's I a feel nightmare. Like maybe you told me this before and I blocked it out. This is fucking insane. That's the kind of stuff that happens when you live in this uh, re- weird theocracy. Like, there's, uh, it's it's just awful. It's just all awful and illegal and terrible and uh, has to stop. And it's ridiculous that the that there's still these kind of well, that would prevent them from reporting the rape, right? Exactly. I wonder if that's the intention. Well, like, 
Don't why? they want to make themselves look like a safer school, mm-hmm. right? Because isn't are you the one that was talking to me about stats from? Uh, oh yeah, because in that same Twitter thread, yeah, uh, some some BYU bro showed up to be like, uh, "Nice try, Brosif." Oh, uh, this was the best. But, yeah, there was like. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we're actually the safest school, one of the safest campuses. Uh, so what's up? And uh, uh, he was just—he uh, was awful. He was awful. But- and then the guy—he like that's the one that like posted an article about how it's one of the safest schools. And then somebody was like, uh, "You have one of the highest rape." Do you know what I'm talking about? Because then he was like, "Uh, nice try. That's against the honor code." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> Nice try, man. <laughs> but the honor code says rape's legal. So what's up? Check and mates. <laughs> Dude, what the hell? Uh, no, but they're uh, like, say you were. Oh, yeah. So like, here's an example. Uh, a girl would tell her story and talk about how uh, this rape came to be. But like alcohol was involved in the story. Right. And so you could just get kicked out for uh, saying that you drank alcohol, you know, and then they, you know, the, the rapist doesn't get prosecuted or anything. Right. You have uh, all the rapist has to say is that it was consensual. And then yeah, that's a, she, she had, she had consensual sex. And so we should kick her out, you know? Uh, oh my God. And uh, like there's story. Does he get kicked out there were, also? No, well, there were, well, I mean, there's, we're talking about. A hundred different instances and they're all different slightly but i mean like there are instances or there were in which uh the guy just you know said oh it wasn't rape it was consensual sex and uh he repented and he stayed in school but the the girl like they think like oh she's just saying it's rape so that uh she won't get kicked out of school or something you know like, oh my she's just embarrassed that she sinned you know and uh you got traumatized victims who uh, don't want to be there any longer, you know. So they just surrender, give up, give in, rather than like go talk to another uh, old sexist dude in a in a closed office, like a guy without like, and you know, like you don't have to sit there and go through this fucking repentance process and shit, and like explain this story again to someone else who's just gonna be condescending and not believe you and not help you in any way and also you still have to go to class with this guy who's still on campus no so people just leave and then they they forfeit all their credits because if you get kicked out because of the honor code they're not going to transfer any <gasps> of your credits out what yeah no people's lives are just fucked you like you we already you already sunk your money in this you already sunk a couple years into this school and uh now you have to go home uh, uh, in in uh tattered sackcloth and ash you know like you're just uh uh shamed you're shamed because you got raped by a fucking asshole who's still just uh working the system to his benefit the biggest case i feel like the, the case that like got the most attention was um when uh byu did something to alert the no, 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 no. What it was is the opposite. Sorry. The girl went to the police department. She reported the rape to the police, but her rapist had a friend on the Provo police force, some guy that knew the kid and uh, liked the kid or whatever. And that guy ratted to the honor code office and said, this girl uh, is having sex and drinking alcohol and all this stuff. Oh, my God. And so God. then she starts getting uh, uh, prosecuted by 
the snitch office. Fucking gross. Dude. It is so it's gross. It's just a perfect breeding ground for sexual assault. Did I tell you how the honor what the honor code office was initially started for? It was like in the 70s yeah. to out gay guys. And like they did like sting operations to find uh gay kids in Provo and then shame them into electroshock therapy. Uh there's some dark shit. We also yeah. uh are you the you got a message about yeah. soaking? Okay, so time so remember when I threw down the gauntlet of soaking? I was like, y'all, tell me. Uh, I want some first-hand experience. Well, we got some first-hand experience, and it is not funny at all. So <laughs> buckle up. Uh, it is serious and sad, and I felt really dumb. No, this uh, this girl messaged and said, uh, and we've already like associated or like made the comparison to just the tip. Yeah. Like, it's the Mormon version of just the tip. And I felt so dumb because I feel like if uh, I I should have just thought of this. I mean, like we made jokes about it and stuff, but she's like, it is the Mormon version of just the tip in that, uh, you know, like guys pressure girls into having sex by by using this this thing and like she said you know you're right in that it's it doesn't stay soaking like (laughs) once you get in you start having sex but it's a way to pressure a girl into having sex when she doesn't want to you know and she's like and she said girls don't believe it either like they don't believe that soaking they're not dumb they're not like oh yeah this will but it's just a form of sexual assault and uh, she had said, you know, I have firsthand experience in, in this kind of sexual assault. And I felt awful after uh, being so cocky and making all these different jokes about it. I feel like if I had stepped outside of my own experiences for a second and tried to think about uh, I would have figured it out on my own. And I just it was just too busy laughing at at, uh, at this uh, so-called myth. But there uh, she said that, you know, there are you know, Mormon guys, Mormon boyfriends that want to have sex and they don't want to have sex. And they're like, all right, well, let's not have sex. Let's just soak. That's not sex. And then they get in there and then they, you know, rape their Mormon girlfriends. They uh, force them to have uh, a non-consensual sexual encounter, something that they didn't sign up for. And then they suffer a lot of guilt and shame from that. Well, to let you off the hook a little bit, I think what you were making fun of is the the myth that this is some big, widely spread hobby amongst the Mormons because it gets brought up in a way that's yeah. like it's like a subculture, and uh-huh. then jumpers is batshit. Right? She did not confirm the yeah. existence of jumpers <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, just let me just let me put the tip in and then have my homeboy stand on the bed. Um, I never considered. Just the tip sexual assault. My views on what is and isn't sexual assault have changed so much in the last five years. I was very resistant to the idea that getting fucked while you were passed out drunk was rape. I didn't like that. It had happened to me a lot, but I I don't know if I've talked about this before. My relationship with sexual assault... I don't like to be a victim and I didn't like the idea that I was getting sexually assaulted so much. So my stand, like my thoughts were if I'm drinking around someone, I'm giving my consent for them to rape me. If I pass out, I didn't consider it rape. I thought, I thought it was sex. We were talking recently about when I was like 15 
and I was uh, partying at houses of adults and my one of my best friends was also 15 and his mom was like the cool mom and would let us drink 40s and then I would pass out downstairs and they had like a 30 year old roommate and I would just wake up to him having sex with me and I didn't Jesus I never considered that rape I never uh, consensually had sex with this dude when I was awake, I don't think. I didn't really have sex sober most of my life, which I'm uh, realizing is much harder than learning how to do comedy sober. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, Jessa. But this guy had sex with you multiple times, and it was only when you were unconscious? Yeah, I only went over there to party. I don't think I ever hung out there sober. But I can remember in my mind it's pictures weird of twice. It's a 30-year-old dude who rapes unconscious teenagers isn't fun to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it wasn't weird. And it definitely... Like, I, d- I didn't feel like I had been assaulted like it's now when i tell the story i'm like oh my god that was someone your age having sex with a child while they were passed out drunk i would just wake up i would just like come back to consciousness and i would either be naked in his bed but i remember being like face down and just him fucking me while i was passed out i was having consensual uh awake sex with do you grown think men that's a, a thing that would you contribute it to your youth, your naivety? Would you contribute it to your generation that it was just uh, something that was accepted? Uh, what what has has made you realize now? Everything I learned about my the rights to my own body, I learned from millennials and younger. Um, I think Can generation. I get a what? What from the millennials? <laughs> Hell yeah! I uh, we th- not only did we l- let's add to the list of industries that we've killed the industry of rape. We <laughs> I remember. Would like to see that headline. Millennials have ruined rape. I remember seeing a poster shared on Facebook that showed, uh, like Jane is drunk. Jane can't give consent. And then people sharing it and being like, because both of them are drunk. And then everyone being like, well, then he, like, how is he responsible for it? He's also drunk. And I just remember rejecting the idea. I remember when uh, Nicole was young, me telling her, like, don't hang out with frat guys because frat guys are rapey. Like, if you pass out here, like, I would do an inventory of the room and be like, is there anyone here that I don't want to fuck me? Because if I get drunk and pass out, I'm getting fucked by one or all of these guys Jeez. and it just to me was hard for me to accept the idea that I wasn't that I was a victim in that situation that I wasn't in charge or in control in those situations um so this has been um a huge evolution for me for years of things just the tip Being harassed by men to have sex, especially when you're young, like a teenager, I never wanted to have sex with any of the guys I had sex with. I had sex with 15 dudes from the time I lost my virginity at 14 to the time I met my first husband at 15. And 
uh, many of those were grown men. And a couple of the adults, I purposefully had sex. Because that's like, to me, that's what... I don't think it was my generation. I think it was me. I think I felt like I deserved to be used. And I needed sex to feel dirty and wrong otherwise it didn't it didn't line up with how my body felt when i was having sex and so i also watched poison ivy too many times maybe did you ever <laughs> see that movie <laughs> drew barrymore made it look very hot to seduce older men. no okay i haven't seen it but you have told me about it yeah. and uh yeah it does you you made it sound very hot and like sharon stone movies and shit so i remember at one point when i was in the mental hospital just like trying to seduce the psychiatrist in the mental hospital and stuff. So some of this was just. So yeah, so when you say you never wanted to have sex with any of the guys you did have sex with, I mean, you told me stories about like how you uh, liked fucking the dude that that you babysat for. And yeah. Stuff. So I guess the boys that I had sex with, the guys my age. Oh, uh, okay. I don't have a lot of examples. The mi- no, no, never mind. Okay. So I was pursuing the sex with grown men. Mm-hmm. I think I had. I can't remember what it was, but I thought of an example of another person that I was like purposefully having sex with more than once, but it was also another thing that was like wrong. Yeah, it had to be wrong, dirty. But so many just like high school boys pretended like they wanted to be my boyfriend. I would fall for it and think that they really liked me and then they would like super pressure me into it. And the second they would start to touch me uh, or like try to put it in uh, this, this like scratchy my body is on fire sensation would take over and I would feel so much shame and so much guilt and so much regret and I would just like I would I would cry I would tears would start running down my face and it was uh the only way I could get out of it and some guys would keep fucking me even though I was crying and other guys would stop and I would make up some big excuse for like repressed memory syndrome is what I would say and uh and leave and then i could never talk to that person again but for real i mean weren't wouldn't you say that you were having those reactions because you were molested as a kid yeah or, i didn't know that but you knew you never knew forgot had, that memory yeah right? so i knew i had been molested as a kid and i thought i had like gotten over it I, guess. I, I like how the lie you made up is actually just the truth. Yeah. You're like, I, I got to come up with a lie to, to, to sell Well, because, you know, there was this whole thing where I was like, I also got raped by him, the guy who mm-hmm. molested me. Yeah. And this was how I ended up in the mental hospital was they were about to take me out of therapy. And I was like, no, I actually got also raped. And um, that ended up being this huge, which was, I don't believe to be true. I don't believe I was actually raped by him. But there was something about the underreaction to me getting molested, the way that it just was like, nobody really, like I I told on this dude over and over and over again and could not get anyone to save me from this dude. And then I tell my parents and we move, but then we never talk about it again. Mm. And I was damaged, like Mm. fucking damaged. And So you feel like you had to exaggerate? I didn't know why I did it. I just thought I just did it because I was full of shit. But now looking back, I see that... You needed people to pay a fucking I needed attention. Somebody you needed somebody attention. to react to do to do something about it. And what had happened was I lost my virginity at fourteen, and then the uh, was I was in the mental hospital within four days of losing my virginity. Oh my god! I went nuts. 
So. Just because it brought back all that stuff with Frank. Yep. And so I was like hallucinating or whatever, but I remember I wasn't hallucinating, but I was like acting out. I was being crazy. I was throwing furniture. I was off the hook. And uh, now I look back and see like I was extremely triggered. And I remember my parents being like, we don't think that this is true. And my therapist telling them, them telling me the story later, the therapist said, if this isn't true, this is much worse than if it is true. Uh, She needs help. And so in and out of the mental hospitals and in between the mental hospitals, every guy, I just thought they liked me. And um, I fancy myself as someone who doesn't care now if people like me. Uh, so it's embarrassing to go back and visit these these uh, memories where I just wanted boys to like me and they were uh, just using me to have sex with me. And it's almost like I could, uh, besides the reaction that my body was having to sex, I think I knew exactly how it was going to play out. I do remember one guy, I can't remember if I've told these stories before, but one guy when I was 15... Uh, I got taken over to his house while skipping school in Portland and uh, he fucked me and was super nice to me, like so nice to me. And uh, I left my wallet there. And when I went back the next day to get my wallet, it was all these bros having a party and I got kicked down a flight of stairs and just like mocked uh, and humiliated. Um this is one thing where I think uh, I so many people have so many just awful, terrible stories of their teenage years because we were just awful as teenagers. Yeah. Everyone just did terrible things to each other. And uh, you're, you're kind of becoming adults and you're coming into this, these new powers and you just use them recklessly and you just you hurt so many people so many people are just so so mean and a lot of times i sit and i regret and i pine for my teenage years because i wasted them by being so mormon beautiful teenage i did i did i i i go oh man i wish i had been trying pot and and having sex and stuff uh, and I do think I was a nice boy and I uh, I never would have kicked someone downstairs. But I feel like I also didn't have any of those things happen to me because my parents wouldn't let me leave the house. You know, I'm like, because I, I wasn't allowed to. There's there's there is some uh, wisdom in my parents, Mormon rigidity where they were like, no, like there's strict rules because they were they were they told me that if I went out that all these bad things would happen. This is yep. what happens at parties. We would watch movies in seminary about people that like try a beer at a party and then don't get to go on their mission anymore. And it's like, oh my God, it's the worst thing in the world. And I spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time now laughing at that. Like, oh my God, I should have lived a little. I'm going to let uh, my kids live a little. and do. But also, uh, there's some wisdom in uh, locking your kids up and yeah. uh, making them watch The Princess Bride again and again and again and again. I mean, I think your generation was sweeter and softer. This was the generation of... But I, the the most insidious group of people were... These were the football players and the cheerleaders. 
And the best part of this was I leave, they're throwing apples at me from the front yard and one black gang member who I had met because I was constantly trying to get beat into a gang. (laughs) One black gang member happens to be walking down the street because it's right across the street from the high school and is like, what the fuck? And they all go running into the house. One dude, there was like 20 of them. It was fantastic. But, um, and then I went and- It wasn't that long ago though that there was the girl that was uh, like- they were posting videos on on Snapchat and Instagram of her getting fingered by all these other football players while she was passed out. They're the grossest and, group of people. No offense, if you're uh, uh, not to make sweeping generalizations, but about all football players, just that crew, that crew of ultra popular teenagers. It might be different now, but uh, no, I, I, mean, advise I feel my like teenagers are just generally bad people. And then when you add popularity to the mix, that's that is uh, that's that's true. But uh, anyway. Um. By the way, congratulations, uh, Tom Brady, on your sixth Super Bowl or whatever. Oh, <laughs> did they win? They won the most boring Super Bowl of all time. Uh, so glad we napped through it. Yeah. Um. So other, can I talk more about sexual assault? Only if it's related to Tom Brady. I'm on uh, a roll. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, he kissed me on the mouth. <laughs> Uh, Jessa just learned that joke today. <laughs> she just learned uh, about it, and I liked seeing you use it right away. Yeah, and that's a great. That's a great reference. Well done. Um, here's some weird stuff that has been happening lately with my childhood sexual abuse. This is something that I would have said that I figured out a long time ago, but it has been constantly coming back up for the last year, as I've been doing a lot of clearing and processing sex is awful for me i can't figure it out i've been trying to figure it out um if i have sex with you anyone besides you so far uh if i have sex with someone i uh if i get through it then i don't want anything to do with that person again i'm completely freaked out by them And like the day after or immediately after I am so coded in shame and guilt, I feel awful. It just like sits on my chest. And so I'm trying to like flood myself with these experiences and force myself to do it because that is my uh, usual go-to strategy is make myself do it anyway. Um, it's happening with women also. It's just, if you touch me, uh, I can't with you anymore. There are a few things that have always struck me. Number one, I was not raised religious, but I am weirdly attracted to and have circled this uh, indoctrinated men. I've fallen in love with multiple indoctrinated men. I am just attracted to people who have been indoctrinated as children. I did do five years of like hardcore Christianity from like uh, 15 to 21 or whatever. But I think there's a big difference between being indoctrinated as a child and converting and converting. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've just always thought it was weird. And I thought, okay, well, that's just because I'm from the opposite side of the tracks. And I like this uh, because it's the opposite of me. It's interesting. It's attractive to me and men. But 
there is this dynamic that I play out with uh, every relationship except for Jason, who is the opposite of an indoctrinated man, where I seek indoctrinated men and then I seek out this experience where they reject me because I'm not good enough. And so this was, I thought, something that started with my marriage because I married into, uh, you know, I married a pastor's son and I was everything that he didn't think he wanted. And so it was a big theme in our marriage that I wasn't a virgin, that I wasn't submissive, that I wasn't this, blah, blah, blah. And so I kind of thought that that was where that programming came from. I then married or I got my next long term relationship was another pastor's kid. And that dude, I think, just loved me, but was obstinate. And I just forced him to reject me all the time. I just forced that scenario to play out. And then that's something I've uh, definitely uh, projected into your reflection multiple times. And recently my sexual abuse as a kid has become, some of this is a little dark, has become... Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, you've, if you're new here, but that's... Uh... Yeah. Uh, my sexual fantasies have become basically the the scenarios in which I was abused. And I knew that like I had a rape fetish because I got molested as a kid. I knew that. But like they became very specific to basically me fantasizing about getting abused. Mm-hmm. Uh, was like how I was getting off by myself. And I am someone who believes that dark sex stuff is how you heal yourself. And so, like, I give myself uh, permission. And you taught me that. Yeah. I think that there is a ton of healing. I feel it's like flatliners where you can go back and touch the trauma in that safe uh, scenario with yourself or, a, you know, uh, another consenting, consenting adult. But... um. Well, yeah, and I don't want to gloss over that. Like, I, I know it's a, uh, well, when we talk about stuff like this, if you guys ever find that Hollingsworthless podcast that we were on, we got in, we got, we speak very candidly about yeah. all this kind of stuff. Uh, I, the, one of the very first things we talked about at Big Sky, uh, was rape fetish. And I was this wide eyed boy, uh, who could not believe such a thing existed. And I was like, you do what? <laughs> You do what? I remember uh, we, you you tell the story better. Where were we at when you came up to me? I what think were we were both about to go on stage at uh, a showcase. And for some reason, I just couldn't stop talking to you about it. And you had like specifically said, like, I don't want to hear yeah. about this. And then I just walked up and was like, do you want to know what the best part of uh uh, role play rape is, and you were like, I, the, no. I think uh, you're, you're, oh, I just uh, said you're, rape, but yeah. I meant role play rape. You're, you're cleaning it up for the podcast. Yeah. You're like, you, wanna, <laughs> you know what the best part of rape is? And I was like, ah, <laughs> what? <laughs> I, well, because I don't have parentheses that I can put brackets or whatever where I meant role play, but, mm-hmm. uh, and then I told you, and you just like got pale, and you were like, "Why are you telling me this?" Yeah, uh, <laughs> like, why? why? It was like the second that you lose, and the and he finally gets inside of you, and you were just like, "I don't know, why are you telling me this?" You, you do it to me. Um, 
she was uh, opening me up is what she was doing. Anyway, we then, Jess and I have uh, gotten into incredibly dark sex, and it is great. <laughs> it, it is fantastic. It is uh, uh, transformative and healing. Uh, like, it's uh, it's been awesome for me to uh, get to play out, uh, like, my role as, like, an abused boy. Uh, and then also get to switch and like get to be the abuse. It's very karmic. We are like, uh, like I'll step into the to the shoes of the the person that I hated, or like you know, like I get to get to touch this dark side of myself that uh, I didn't think existed or whatever, and it uh, didn't. Uh, turn me into a rapist <laughs> like no, uh, at least not yet we'll yeah. keep you guys updated <laughs> uh everyone keep your eye out for me um but i it's uh i i don't know it's like it's stuff that we really uh are are a little bit more shy about and there aren't many things that jess and i are shy about but uh now I'm now I'm filled with so many second guesses about this. I'm like, <laughs> like we're gonna we cut this fucking this thing out. out. No, 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 no. Um, but uh, it's I don't know. It was good. It, it was informative. It, it was. is Flatliners. So if you haven't watched Flatliners from the '90s, it's basically uh, they go kill themselves and then bring themselves back. They're like med students. And when they bring themselves back, they bring back either what they consider to be the worst thing they ever did or whatever their worst trauma was. And then they have to reconcile with it. And there's something about using sex to reconcile with your trauma where I... It was the things he said afterwards. It was the things he said to make me stay quiet that did lasting damage. He he put into my head that I was wrong, that I was bad, that I was gross, that I was dirty, that my mom didn't take care of me, and that I was forcing him to do this. And I think I uh, we've gone back and kind of explored this, and I can kind of now see it from what I was really dealing with was a sick man who was fighting with his own demons and was mad at me when I was just triggering something that was already broken inside of him. But he planted this seed that there was something wrong with me and my need to heal from that. I have just sought out because he put this impression in my head that like Christians were what was right. Religious people were what was right and what was pure and I was gross and I was wrong and I was dirty and I was not the right kind of person. And so I have just spent my life seeking out that same narrative. To just keep replaying it. Yeah. Over and over Because again. I'm trying to find because it. Because you were taught it. You know, it was embedded in you. This We've talked a lot about how your body remembers and your body has this memory and your, uh, the like... If that's your first sexual experience and it came with all this uh, religious baggage and uh, and emotional pain, then it makes sense that then that, that's you feel like, well, this is what sex is going to be. Right. Sex is going to be this for a long time. So I, I have this crazy uh, transformative experience where I... Uh, when? 
a couple weeks ago, I guess. Um, cause I couldn't figure out why I kept circling it. Why suddenly like my sex drive was getting connected closer and closer to this abuse. And I think it's because when you are, uh, having sex or jerking off, you're really far into it. Uh, it is, uh, a vehicle to kind of transport to, a time and a place and a sensation. And at some point that got hardwired into what I believe sex, you know, my sexual experience. So every time I feel turned on or someone else is touching me, I'm going back to that place. That's why I feel terrible afterwards. And so I just kept circling it. And I believe I had a breakthrough on it. I guess I haven't tested that out yet we like haven't tried it. to have sex with anyone else yet but, but tell um, us about the breakthrough uh well a huge part was realizing that that is where this that it didn't come from your first marriage it came from it came from this that this uh this experience with this man who used god and jesus as an excuse to because you i'm so fixated on the shame cycle caused by you guys who were raised in religion. I mean, I'm weirdly obsessed with the shame cycle. Every Mormon friend that I... I mean, she loves meeting Mormons. She loves it and asks so many questions. But yeah. And so it was always just something I felt like, oh, I'm fascinated by that or I'm compassionate by that. But it's so funny where it's my own trauma that is just seeking my reflection in other people, just trying to come up. Like, just find this, find this. I love it so much. I love this process of healing yourself and it's really fascinating. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to tell the whole story, but, um, I think you should do it. I think, uh, it's telling that specific story as weird and uncomfortable as it may be. Does illustrate, I don't know. It illustrates it. Uh, it's your story. It's your story. And uh, all these people listen to the podcast love you. And we get messages constantly about how much they love you. And I don't think anyone's going to be weirded out by it. I think you're uh, I think you're in a safe place. If you want to talk about it, you can talk about it. Um, I think I shared with you that uh, I kept circling these fantasies in uh like I couldn't stop thinking about the instances that I remember and the things that he did to me and then uh we were having sex um and kind of ended up role-playing some of these scenarios and I felt like I was in that moment but in a flatliners sort of way where I am adult me almost in that moment with like all of my categories of reason and all of my ability to understand what's happening. And suddenly when he's doing the things that he's doing, I see them for what they are. I see that that shame that's getting put on me, like that's his shame. That's not my shame. Uh, Those aren't things I should be ashamed of. Those are things that he's doing wrong. There's not something wrong with me. There's something wrong with him. Um, And I'm crying and um, 
saying things that like I before I'm even thinking them and I realize in that moment there's nothing wrong with me there never was anything wrong with me and uh this person was sick and was doing terrible things to me and needed me to stay quiet he didn't really need me to stay quiet apparently because nobody gave a fuck (laughs) but um he said those things and they weren't true but they became a part of my programming they became a part of my narrative a bug in your code a bug in my code that i sought out after that and i i cried and i felt like i purged i felt like i went back to Uh, There are three major instances, like three very vivid memories of things that he did besides his daily weird uh, uh, gropings. And we kind of visited uh, every one of those and I like told you the things that he did and then you just kind of uh, played that role. And uh, it was in every one of those scenarios, I just felt like I was adult Jessa. With who a, could stand with adult up brain with adult brain who could stand up for herself and in every single one of those situations i felt like i took my power back and that is essentially what tweaker jessa came up with as virtual reality therapy where uh you you transport people back to their trauma and allow them to win so um it's also similar to the stuff that we've done in hypnosis where yeah just uh a week or two prior we did the opposite like uh and uh i we did another uh we we talked about it i think as a patreon episode though uh but we've talked about how uh we did an age regression hypnosis session for me one time to try to take me back to my childhood abuse to try to remember it you know because it's all blocked off and I can't remember it. And uh, I still totally can't. Not, I mean, not completely. I still, uh, uh, it's still mostly fuzzy, but uh, I feel like I know enough. And it's like, I'm not, I'm also not really worried too much about remembering it all. Uh, for a while, I felt like I, I had to know everything in order to be completely healed. And maybe that is true. Uh, but I think I'm like pretty functional uh, without remembering it. Uh, you know, I've come to a point of just acceptance. But we uh, did another round of that. And uh, uh, then like Jessa like acted out. Uh, uh, and I... Uh, we're so uncomfortable. <laughs> we are. It's, um, well, my big my thing is is that I've ever since I talked I've talked on the podcast and I said that I felt like I uh, I I was molested by my sister and then for years I or not for years for a year sorry I have been second guessing that like why did I say that on this public podcast when I can't even fully remember it and is like what if I'm wrong what if my what if my neighbor molested me and uh I'm just uh trashing my sister's uh name uh for no reason and like putting this stuff out there and I'm wrong you know and I've second guessed it and we were we we've done this kind of hypnosis to like try to uh help me figure out uh you know exactly what did happen and um 
even though even after that last thing where I felt like I finally accepted it and I was like you Aaron you know the answer is you know who did it and you just don't second guess it I still feel weird about saying it on the podcast yeah but uh like uh I don't know it's just it's my fucking story so I guess I can do what I want I just feel bad uh for this person that I don't ever even talk to and have uh no relationship with but there's just I also just feel like she's a victim too she's a she has to be there's no way uh anyone that young does does something unless it's been done to them first right you know so I don't feel good about like just trashing her but uh, I don't know on angrier days I I don't give as many shits but uh, still, we had we basically Jess and I had mirrored experiences, which uh, we are each other's mirrors, and we do we uh, have all these experiences together and stuff. But uh, we like within the span of uh, with a one or two weeks, we both had these experiences where we went back to those trauma points and uh, uh, found some amount of healing that was really really good. I. Jessa and I, if you listen to the podcast at all, you know, like we're the kind of people that we want to, we're like these little detectives. We want to go find out what are the, why do we have these problems and we want to correct them and we want to become our best selves and we want to figure shit out and we don't want to just, uh, uh, keep it all inside anymore. We're done with that. We feel like, uh, there's more, there's more healing available on that night for me. Uh, I felt so much lighter. I felt a lot uh, of healing. Uh, it was a it was a big night for me, and um, I, th- I I think all of you guys we can all benefit from looking into our trauma more. Get therapists. Go. Uh, I also don't want to seem like we're uh, just promoting. Uh, just, this kind of shit on your own, but also if you want to do it on your own, I don't, I don't get care. a therapist or rape a- your friend. One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I really think we should start a Jessa read out of context quotes, uh, <laughs> page. but, uh, I think whatever it is that you feel like you should do and whatever it is you feel like you've been scared to do, I think you should try it. If you haven't gotten a therapist yet because you're nervous about it or, uh, you know, if that's something you've been thinking about, do it, go get a therapist. If there's something that's been, that's, that's in, that's in your chest that you know that you uh, like are afraid to talk about, I think you should talk about it. I think you should journal about it. I think you should tell a friend about it. I think you should ex- read, check out a book, get some books uh, about it and figure all your shit out and uh, move on. You know, it's, uh, it's a much better, lighter uh, world ahead of us. It's, uh, we... I think we'll we're gonna give you guys a couple of weeks to watch Russian Doll. Two weeks. You have two weeks. Two weeks, um, and uh, then we're doing a full episode about Russian Doll. We watched it on the plane from Houston today. We watched all eight episodes. They're like half hour episodes, so it's like it's like four hours. Uh, it's a four hour show, and it's so cool. And it's all about me and Jessa. That's how we thought. We were like, "This is us. This is our story. This is so cool." But we fucking 
loved it but uh i don't want to i don't want to get into it uh, now because uh, i uh, i know a bunch of people haven't seen it yet but i would say that a major theme of the show is uh is about people being stuck because they're being held back by by some sort of past trauma and that the only way forwards is to go backwards and revisit that and figure out like there's things that that for me I don't know about you guys but I just speak for me there are things that happened uh to me as a child that were dictating events in my daily life for, forever you know like I'm 30 years old and I'm still doing things because uh little Aaron right uh is is has got problems and uh I've grown so much in the last year or two years, three years, just by going backwards and and dealing with that shit. And you have to get knee deep in it and you're just in this muck and it's uh, hard and it's uh, it's bad. It's a lot easier when you've got uh, a, a helpful partner uh, that, that, that's, that's helping you through it. But uh, it's it's been freeing. It's been it's been wonderful. It's definitely been a crazy magic year of of trauma clearing. I had to ditch a lot of programming just about being like better. I thought I was better. I had like 10 years of having my shit together and then I got triggered back into all this stuff, but I wouldn't trade this extremely painful year for anything because I feel there was so much this whole last year has really been, I like went and found my inner child, rescued her, and then uh, systemat- like integrated her and then systematically went through her traumas from believing that she wasn't loved from... Uh, attachment stuff we haven't done an episode about but it's Uh, coming uh, yeah Uh, sexual abuse stuff like this is just huge uh, healing I feel lighter I don't even know how to describe it I feel uh, lighter and happy in a way that I don't think I've ever been happy before I would consider myself to have been happy most of my life but it feels like I was happy carrying five suitcases and now I'm happy with just a backpack on my back mm-hmm. I've often asked myself like what do you really want in life what does you really want what are your goals what is it and my answer was like I really like the one thing that I really want to be is happy like, could I just be happy what's uh, like even if I don't get famous, if I never get to be uh, in a movie, if I never get to meet Marisa Tomei, uh, what uh, do I really? Re- I would think I'd be just. It'd be nice if I could just be happy, and uh, I think I've been putting in a lot of work in the right direction in the last few years, and uh, it's it's been emotionally taxing and mentally exhausting at times. And I do feel like I have taken efforts away from my career and, um, 
and other pursuits just to take mental health day after mental health day. Uh, and like, there's lots of, lots of sitting and thinking, lots of reading books, lots of, uh, therapy and talking to, to people about this stuff. And I think it's some of the best work that I've done in my life. Like, uh, this, it's been, it's, uh, probably imperceptible by other people. And I, I do think that like, uh, I haven't, I don't have much to show for the last several years. You know, when you have friends that are excelling in their careers and you're just kind of, uh, I don't, but I just, I, I feel like I can't focus on any of that other stuff fully until I just get happy. And I just put myself into a, a, a better place, you know? But uh, I can't believe how many years I went without uh, getting help. The when my marriage was falling apart and like Tabitha was all you know dissatisfied, because I was just fucking depressed. After Ethan was born, I was just depressed, and I would just stay up. I think that um, I mean him being born was uh. I mean, gave me so much joy, but I think something about having a baby triggered a lot of the, uh, a lot of, uh, memory, like the way that you talk about how you were, you didn't realize that you were seeking out that same, uh, experience. Right. Uh, I think that there were a lot of things that I didn't realize, uh, why they were happening. Like after my, uh, uh, it it really starts when my brother told me that he got molested and it wasn't until years later that I realized everything that happened after that was my own self, my own higher self or inner self or inner child, uh, trying to wake me up and trying to, uh, point out to me what, where my problems were, you know? And I think having a kid was one of those things uh, that triggered memories from my inner child and, uh, that brought a lot of worry and a lot of stress. And because I didn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really tuned in yet. It just, right. I just felt sad all the time. That's all I knew was I felt sad all the time and I didn't tell anyone about it and I didn't get help. I, uh, just fucking didn't sleep and didn't go to class and didn't do work and just was a miserable husband and stuff. I would just stay up all night long, just watching, uh, who knows what for no reason, just alone on my living room floor while my wife slept alone uh, in the bed. And, uh, I was miserable. And then it wasn't until she was leaving that I finally was like, okay, okay, I'll go see a therapist. I'll go see a therapist. Please don't leave. And, uh, it, made such a difference. I mean, one of the first questions that therapist asked me uh, was like, what do you remember about your childhood? Like, you know, the first thing she said, do you have a good memory? And I said, yeah, I got a great memory. And then she said, uh, what's your kindergarten teacher's name? I said, who knows there? Who knows that? What was your first grade teacher's name? I didn't know. 
What's your second grade teacher's name? I don't know. I think I had a couple. I moved. I don't know. What's your third grade teacher's name? Oh, it was Mrs. Newell. And then like I and I, like it wasn't until I saw a therapist that I realized my memories start in third grade. And that was a nagging question. Why don't I have memories from before? Why can't why right. is everything black before that? Why do I have nothing? And it wasn't until I saw a therapist that I realized all these things that uh that I, you know, was so confused as why my marriage was falling apart and all the answers were like in my childhood, you know? Uh Again, I'm not going to give away Russian doll stuff yet, <laughs> but the uh, we are stuck. We're all we're all stuck in loops, making the same mistakes and seeking out the same experiences again and again and again. People are unhappy all the time, and they talk about like why you know things don't seem to work out for me. And I just, or like, I keep, I can't have a relationship that works. I just go through breakup after breakup. Like I just, you keep seeking out the exact same experience. Why? Like there's, there's a, there's a, there's a reason why. And there's a lesson that you're not learning and you will not progress, uh, until you learn it. And, uh, there's an error in the code and you have to go back and find it. I am someone who follows pain like a roadmap. I'm someone who, like, I don't accept disease. Pain I is accept... a roadmap. I couldn't help it. I couldn't I help it. I, as soon as I said it, I was like, he's definitely going to He's going to do it. I don't accept anything as permanent. I don't know. I I weirdly study a lot of things about how the body works and I follow uh, my Instagram activity is very strange, but I follow a lot of physical therapists and um and watch how they fix certain things. And so for some reason I had gotten very interested in uh plantar fasciitis or whatever it's called, it's some like foot thing, right? And so this uh, physical therapist was talking about how you have to stretch this ligament in your foot. And I've had issues with a ligament short shortening my iliopsoa, uh, shrinking. You're just dropping all kinds of vocab mm-hmm. words yeah, here. Should, and okay. I'm saying them all wrong, I'm sure. <laughs> From doing squats. And so I had uh, learned how to release that and it was fixing my gait and everything else. And so... Anyway, I I was interested in the thing about the feet. And then I have run into several people who have just accepted this condition and have had crippling pain in their feet. Multiple people since since I watched all these videos. And I was like, oh, I think you can just stretch your feet and fix that. And I think they still have some pain because they have to stretch their feet every day. But it is like life changing for them. And I think that that is a but before that, they were just like, my feet are ruined. And I think that that is a great illustration for once we have had a condition like depression or anxiety for a little while, we just accept this as this is who I am. And this is, I'm, I'm Jessa and I have anxiety and I spent the last year having crazy panic attacks and anxiety attacks and freak outs and not being able to leave my room for days and laying on my floor, 
uh, with my heart racing and, 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 uh, we have documented a ton of that, but what was happening during that phase is that this stuff was trying to work its way out. And I just went down and got it and fixed it and, and worked on it and brought these things, brought this child out, let her, uh, say her peace, let her make amends, let her forgive and healed. I'm not saying I'm done, but I haven't had anxiety issues in quite a while. And I think that this is, this is the work. I read something recently that said happiness exists here or it exists nowhere talking about, uh, timelines. But, um, I think that we have the ability to find the error in our codes and, uh, and find happiness, experience happiness, because we have healed those broken parts of ourselves. And I believe that for mankind as a whole right now, this is a huge theme, trauma. Everyone, everyone. And it's crazy that we keep seeing more and more shows. Like I'm jealous. Like what I wanted us to make art like this. And then we watch Maniac and I go, oh man, I'll never make art that good that explains this the the maniac did all this kind of stuff with your virtual therapy yeah. stuff that we've talked about, and then uh, to watch Russian Doll and other stuff. I also I am acutely aware of how this podcast is just kind of devolving into just a recommendation of Netflix uh, <laughs> cues. And God, I hope uh, Netflix buys a show from us. Uh, we uh, I have are really doing our part to promote the network. <laughs> Okay, uh, we're we're trying. Uh, we are trying, uh, but uh, every episode there's like like some new movie that I'm talking about, some new show. But uh, and the thing is, is like everyone when uh, people would tell me that I should do a podcast, you know, years ago, uh, they're like, Aaron, why don't you do a podcast about movies? And you love movies, you love TV, and I was like, I'll never do a podcast like that because there already exists enough podcasts. On, no one needs another podcast about movies, and now. Now that I have a podcast, all I do is be like, <laughs> ah, you guys seen a Revolver? <laughs> Let's talk about it. Well, I think uh, a movie podcast about here's how movies are, here's how art is teaching you about yourself is much more interesting than just some dude's opinions. Ranting about James Cameron and how he's underappreciated. Yeah, I know. Uh, this feels like... Um, a good time to talk about the next season of the podcast. This yes. feels like a credits rolling kind of Yeah, so episode. we think we're going to do a season two rather than just keep going. This is also coming with feedback from our uh, our producers at Starburns uh, that, uh, because we like this, we like our podcast to be serial. Like we like people starting at the, at the beginning, you know, and, uh, we feel like it's a, it's a story. It's a story about two people that are fixing themselves by using each other's mirrors and stuff. It's what we think that, that our, our podcast is. So it's better to just start at the beginning and get the whole journey, you know? Uh, but we've got so many episodes now we've almost been at it for a year and we think we're going to start a, a season two and we don't really, know what's going to happen because we're just telling the story as it unfolds. But we do feel like we've hit a point where we can kind of close season one 
you know. Uh, we don't really know what the format's going to be if each season that we do is going to last a whole year or something. But we definitely feel like we we are we are different people now than we were a year ago. We've we've changed a lot, and I think we're going to keep uh, growing because we keep uh, going forward. But we are going to start a season two soon, and we've got. We're, we're really excited about doing a season one recap where we just put together clips of of, of season one to, to help recap it. We think that's going to be fun. We are going to switch the release date to Tuesday mornings instead of Monday mornings. That'll be a new change with season two. And that's like all we really know for sure. We're gonna. It's got. It's still gonna be more than the method. We're still gonna be talking from those perspectives, but uh, on to like a a different chapter, I guess. Yeah, it definitely feels like a chapter of our life has wrapped up, and it for us has been a year. So I think January of two thousand eighteen. We met at that comedy festival, but we didn't become a, a staple in each other. Yeah, man. We recorded our first podcast ever in a hotel in Phoenix, Arizona in January 2018. And we, we just went back to Glendale and did a show there this almost a year to the day. There's a little, a little, like a week or so off. And we got the exact same hotel and uh, didn't record any episodes. <laughs> we were supposed to. We were supposed we did to everything re- else. Yeah, we were supposed to record uh episodes together, but it didn't happen. But still, yeah, we've been it's been a year for us now. That's weird. I want to say uh, like a kind of a, 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 an update thing though. So everyone is healing. Like every like the whole world it seems. Like with these TV shows and uh people that we meet like our fans, like people that we talk to after our shows, people that we talk to in Houston and stuff. So many people have these similar experiences. Tabitha too. So here's a follow up on the the ego re- revelation that I had, the external enemy revelation that I had. You'll remember uh, I I went and saw a movie with her and our son and just cried afterwards and and released a lot of pain. And then uh, a couple weeks later, Jessa and I did. Moon rocks. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with ecstasy this. Ecstasy for with, the. Uh, it's a type of ecstasy, apparently, and uh, it was the greatest night of my life. We laid in bed and cried, and it was the greatest night of my life. It was such an empathetic, compassionate drug. Like I, and this is right on the heels of my ego revelation, where I was feeling uh, more at one with other people and like connected and stuff. And uh, we we ate this ecstasy and just laid in bed and held each other and cried and and talked about a bunch of different stuff. We talked about uh, problems between us two and uh, did healing there. But like we each had our own personal things that we were like forgiving ourselves for. I felt like compassion for Tabitha, which I'd already been feeling. And I, but I just felt like I suddenly understood that it was okay to fall out of love and to fall in love with someone else. I suddenly felt like she's allowed to do that. I don't have to be mad at her for that. And that's fine. But more than that was I, I, I thought so much about how I reacted and how sad I was and how angry I was and all the ways I acted and behaved and stuff. And I, 
I had so much compassion for myself. I'm a person who gives into self-hatred quite easily, or at least I used to. Uh, And I just saw all my behavior the same way that I saw Tabitha's. And I was like, it's okay. It's understandable. The love of your life left you and you were still in love with her and it hurt and you had no idea how to process it and you did your best and it's fine and it's okay and you're fine and you're okay and I forgave myself and it was really good and I thought uh, and that uh, that night I thought I was going to like send an email to her and tell her all this stuff but the next day I woke up and I was like I don't want to. I don't think I need to. I don't think it was for her. It was for me. Right. I don't really have anything. Like, I thought I was going to write her this email saying sorry. But then in the morning, I was like, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry for the way I behaved because uh, it's okay. Like, it's all right. understandable and stuff. So I never, I never said anything to her about it. But three or four days ago, we were on the phone. And we were just talking about our son. And ever since my ego revelation, like I've stopped treating her like my enemy. And so like the way I've texted her have been different, like more friendlier, just like not. I used to just like just the bare bones, whatever the the bare minimum of information I had to convey in a text. That's all I would send. Right. Period. But I started to be a little friendlier and she started reciprocating it. Um she sent me a bunch of pictures of Ethan, uh, like uh, when it was his birthday and stuff. And I would send her pictures when he was with me. And uh, then one night she just like she like because of his birthday, she was feeling nostalgic. She just sent me a ton of photos, and I was like, I've got a ton of photos too. And I sent them to her, and she complimented me. It's the first compliment I'd gotten from her. And I don't know how long she was like, Aaron, these photos are beautiful. And she's an incredibly talented photographer. So it like made me so proud. And she just like raved about it. She was so grateful with the photos that I sent her. And I was like, oh, this is great. Then like a day or two later, we have this phone call. We're just talking about Ethan and we're talking about stuff. And then I'm thinking, you should tell her. You should tell her about that experience that you had. And she says to me, I have something else that I want to tell you. I didn't know if this kind of just feels like the right time. I think I'm just going to tell you. I'm like, get out. I was going to tell you something. She's like, all right, well you go first. And I was like, fuck, you got me. Okay. Well played. (laughs) Uh, And I just said, listen, it's not going to sound like revelatory or anything. It's stuff that I've said already, but I just, I think I mean it more now because of an experience that I had, but you know, I just, I get it. You didn't love me anymore. And that's allowed. And then you fell in love with someone else. And that's also allowed. And I'm sorry I was so mean about it. I'm sorry I was so angry. But you um, were the love of my life. You were the love of my life. And I wasn't ready to let go. And I had no idea how to let go. And it just hurt. And I just, uh, you know, I did the best I could. And uh, then she blew me away and said, well, I had an experience. Uh, she was like, you can't, uh, uh, don't use this against me because it's kind of illegal. And I was like, is it drugs? <laughs> <laughs> My experience with drugs. She went out in the desert by herself and uh, did mushrooms for the very first time and had this transcendent experience. And she explained it to me and uh, used language that you and I, Jessa, use all the time. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. 
my greatest enemy the is doing is on the same exact journey as me the same exact journey as me she went out in the desert and had almost an identical experience as me one week apart less than a, i think it was five when we like did the math i think it was like five days apart from uh she was it was like right in between my ego revelation and the moon rocks night and she said afterwards she says everything feels different i feel like i'm in the same world but i've moved to a different dimension in that world and she's like all embarrassed to tell me this shit because we don't talk we don't she has no idea i was very happy to know that she does not listen to the podcast (laughs) i am always terrified that that she's going to listen and and hate me for it but uh, she clearly doesn't if she thought that I was going to be weirded out by that. Oh, and then she talked about she did. She was like, well, it all started when I um, I got a therapist and we did EMDR therapy. Do you know anything about that? Do I know anything about that? I love EMDR therapy. And I'm like, I know about the, the you know, the book, The Body Keeps the Score, blah, blah, blah. Like, and we're all talking about this stuff. She uncovered all like. Uh, uh, past trauma from her childhood through EMDR therapy and then like had to uncover all this stuff with relation like her uh, relationship since childhood and she's been working through the last year of like uh, of digging through this stuff and getting happier and it was all culminated in this in this uh, transcendent moment that she had in the desert and then we were just like telling each other that we loved each other that we missed each other that like she told me she said I have no bad memories of us and that made me cry because in the narrative the narrative i've been telling myself is that i'm the only one that misses us she hates me she's so happy that she's done with me she doesn't think about me at all she if she does think about me it's all regret and and anger and like you know and that's not true at all she's like i love everything about us she was like i uh and and she told me um she was like i want you to know that i really tried hard in our marriage, I, tr- I stayed as long as I could. I tried really, really hard. And I just got to a point where I just knew that I had to be done and it hurt. It hurt to be done and it hurt to be over. And I didn't want it to be over either, but I just knew that it was, and I knew that it had to go. And, uh, I have teased her on this podcast about, uh, you know, like she, you know, taking personality quizzes was the stuff that she, that I remember her citing to me is like why we needed to be over, right? And in that, in my mind, the way it was revealed was just like so dumb, and she didn't try hard enough, and I was the one that was trying to get us to go to couples therapy, and I was blah blah blah. But she told me that, and I just knew it was true, and I was like, yeah, I believe you, I I believe you, and I thanked her. I was like, thank you for staying as long as you did thank you for trying to thanks for not quitting you know in my mind i felt like she quit and then suddenly i was like no you didn't i get it i totally believe you she said a bunch of she's like i want you to know uh that i'm sorry for this i'm sorry for that and uh i never thought we were ever gonna have a conversation like this we don't talk we haven't talked in years uh it's uh it was amazing and we was just like you know, those, I have certain friends that, um, I didn't see for years. And then, uh, like Esther comes to mind and this friend that we just lost contact. And then when I saw her, it was just like no, no time had passed. Right. We just picked up and we're just friends, just, uh, easy to talk to and stuff. And, um, 
I remember in the beginning of the divorce, the beginning of the split, we were both like, we're going to be friends one day. Don't worry. But then things got ugly and bad and stuff. And I thought we'll never, ever be friends. I'll never trust this bitch. She's uh, my enemy. She's out to get me. I hate her. Uh, And now all of a sudden we were, I mean, not exactly, but almost like how we were. Uh, There's some differences, but the the comfort with which we were speaking to each other and telling each other things and catching each other up on like deep personal stuff and and then suddenly it just realized like I miss you I miss you I miss this uh I really miss talking about Ethan and she told me like you know I miss talking to you about Ethan and I was like, I thought you wanted to cut me out of Ethan's life. I felt like you you wanted to keep him from me. And you were keeping, like, I felt like you were stealing him from me. And she's like, I miss sharing all this stuff with you. Uh, I miss, like, uh, telling you the, the cute things that he did. And, you know, like, uh, I made a child with you. And uh, he's the best thing in this world. And I, and I miss you. And, like, we had this huge reconciliation that I n- never dreamt was possible. And all of a sudden it's happening. I, I, when I'm going through these huge, uh, revelatory ascension experiences, uh, and, and getting like becoming one with the universe, I imagined Tabitha out there just still being a bitch, just dumb, <laughs> just dumb bitch out there in dumb bitch land. And no, she was on, uh, like a, a, a near identical journey that she's doing the same things as me going back to her childhood, all this stuff. And, uh, Holy fuck. It felt good. It felt really, really good. There's still, I mean, it's not perfect. Like I felt like that night I got really sad like because like to have admitted to her that I loved her and missed her opened up some sad things you know uh but like suddenly we have a future we're gonna co-parent we're gonna be friends we're going like Ethan's never gonna have another birthday party um without uh we're both we're both gonna be at his next birthday party he's going uh to to have us both there he we're gonna um you know like suddenly I see this life uh, this new this new timeline is suddenly here where uh, things are okay. Like it's not a it's not a constant battle. I'm not worried. And she told me again and calmed down my fears about because it's like it's still so triggering that I feel like I'm gonna lose. You know, I'm like you know you're sure you're not gonna take him from me. She says absolutely. There's I never want that. She's like I understand things I did. And I'm sorry for them. Like, I understand how that made you think that. And I'm sorry for them. But I don't want that. And uh, uh, suddenly I see this. uh, uh, Us being friends again. Like, us uh, talking. Spending time. Watching Ethan play. Watching him grow up. And um, being that blended. One blended family shit that you would talk about. (laughs) And... uh, it all being okay. And all it took was just three terrible years. That's it. <laughs> just three awful, terrible years. Uh, and uh, now that feels like it's behind us. But, uh, God, it, make, it, uh, it makes me it makes me really happy. And I think it makes, a, it makes a huge difference for Ethan. And I'm excited to see him 
get to grow up with parents that don't fucking hate each other. That's I think I, <laughs> I think that's it. It's been quite a year. How the fuck did it? So much happened, and we've we're skipping over a bunch of good stuff that we have more episodes coming up. Uh, we're not exactly sure yet when season two is going to start, but uh, there's still so many like cool and painful stories that Jessa and I have experienced in just the last several weeks, just since the new year that we're going to tell on upcoming episodes. So uh, stay tuned, but it's just. Isn't it great to wake up in the morning and realize who you are? (laughs) She's quoting a a joke that I have. Um, What if 2019 is just the year that I'm happy? What? Like what a great year that what if I'm just, what will I be like when I am not like how much will I accomplish and how powerful will I be when I'm just happy and I'm content with myself and I'm, I'm not spending so much energy digging through all these, uh, awful triggers. Like when I've, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. You are, um, just has told me so many times, like, Aaron, you're powerful. You're magic. Aaron, you're this, you're that. She tells me all these great things about myself. And it was, uh, very easy to brush off, uh, because I didn't feel that way at all. And, and now I'm starting to feel that way. Like, I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm not lazy. I'm not a lazy piece of shit. I was just sad for a really long time. I was just sad for 28 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, now that I'm happier, like I, I do accomplish things and, and, uh, I am like uh, this person who makes other people feel good about themselves because I'm no longer just so fucking focused on uh, myself and all my issues. And I uh, love it. I love it. I think you already maybe haven't noticed, but you have like an ego response to something that would ordinarily trigger 24 hours of misery or misery until you fell asleep. Where you used to be very in touch with your emotions, you are now very in touch with your ego triggers because now you will have a feeling and then be like, that's not my ego. Yeah, that's that's my ego. It's been... It becomes autopilot so fast that uh, you have found the key to happiness, which is crazy because your horoscope said for January, the first week of January. Yeah, guys, astrology shit, that episode that we just had, uh, the the horoscopes that... uh, I think it's more fun to read the horoscopes uh, after they've passed. Absolutely. I read them before you have no idea what they mean. And then afterwards you're like, oh my God. But like my horoscope for this month of January. uh, Said you finally found the secret to happiness. And three days later you realize that your ego isn't you. Yeah, man. That my ego is not me. I'm like just, I don't know. We got to, we got to save more for other episode, but I want to talk about surrendering. I want to talk about annihilation. I want to talk about now. I want to talk about uh, just uh, all kinds of shit. And I mean, we'll still also just tell Book of Mormon stories on acid and stuff too. Don't 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 think we're getting too serious. But you know, every now and then I have to cry on the podcast. That's a staple. Yep, (laughs) that's a staple. Anyway, I love this podcast. I love that we met and started this journey and started documenting it. And I love that 
people f- listen to it and talk to us about it and share their own stories about it. And uh, it's cool. It's cool not to be on this journey alone. And uh, I'm glad that all of you guys are on it with us. And we'll catch you next season on Mormon and the Method. If you put a Mormon and a Meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just so read our friends, listen to them talking to Mike.